0: Hey, everybody, before we get to our episode today, I want to share with you about an exciting movie that is coming out this Friday. It's called Blue Bayou. It's from award-winning writer and director Justin Chan, who also stars in the movie. Blue Bayou, it is the moving and timely story of a uniquely American family fighting for their future. It stars a character named Antonio LeBlanc, a Korean-American adoptee raised in a small town in the Louisiana Bayou. He's married to of lover's life, Kathy, and stepdad to their beloved daughter, Jessie. Struggling to make a better life for his family, he must confront the ghosts of his past when he discovers that he could be deported from the only country he has ever called home. It's inspired by true events, and Blue Bayou shines an important light on the impact our immigration policies have on American families today. Blue Bayou stars Justin Chan, Alicia Vikander, and is in theaters starting this Friday. For tickets and more information, Visit bluebayoufilm.com. And I hope you take a chance to listen to both the interview with Justin Chan, airing on Dear Asian Americans and Korean American Parenting this week, and the roundtable discussion with Chan Chi Show hosts and other Korean American adoptees on The Chan Chi Show. Thanks so much. And here now is our episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Asian Americans. I am Jerry Wan, your host, and I'm really excited for this week's episode, in particular, this conversation with Justin Chan, a uh, current American uh, filmmaker, award-winning. He's starred in him. He's written, directed. It's um, just an all-around uh, great storyteller, and I got a chance to sit down with him in this exclusive interview, uh, thanks to our friends at Focus Features, uh, to talk about his movie that's coming out this week friday uh blue bayou you just heard the ad for it um and i would encourage everybody to go uh obviously listen to this episode uh we have another great episode uh on our sister show the chanchi show which features a uh, five-person all korean adoptee roundtable discussion on the movie and what it means for the community and so um There's a lot of things that I think are important to talk about, including the Adoptee Citizenship Act uh, that the movie um, and then the discussions around the movie are bringing up to light. So I wanted to give a big shout out to Justin for making time for this, uh, to everybody at Focus and for Essence um, for making this happen for us. And I hope you enjoy this conversation. A movie comes out this Friday and it is only going to be in theaters. And so look it up. Uh, obviously, be safe, be healthy if you can uh go out there and, and check it out. I highly encourage you to do so and without further ado, here's my conversation with justin so justin one of the i think one of the coolest things um and I guess to give our audience context um i've I've known Justin since college literally, and so i've i've seen him uh from near and far sort of progress in his first acting and then writing, producing, and directing and I got to say, man, one of the coolest things for me is that you are using the privilege of your space to tell our stories. And so most notably, the th- your three big projects, Miss Purple, Goop, and Now Blue Bayou, are Korean-American stories that only we can tell or that we only should tell. I'm sure many of these stories have been told in the past uh, from members not of our community um, as, as many, many uh, marginalized stories have been. But um, before we, we get to know about you and then you know about Blue Bayou, um, what inspires you to tell our stories when you could be doing any storytelling?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, mainly because out of frustration, you know, um, I've been an actor for close to 20 years now and how we're represented in entertainment and film and television, it never has felt very accurate or authentic to my experience, what I experienced growing up. And also just a lack of control or authorship of of what ends up, you know, out there in the world. I just felt quite frustrating and, and who was allowed to like who was given permission to tell our stories and why we're not allowed to. And, you know, um, now it's become a little bit more accepted. But, you know, when I made my first film 10 years ago, it was it was unheard of. It just was like a, like a stupid endeavor because they were just like, well, this is not going to go anywhere. So, you know, those like mostly because I just felt like we weren't being hurt really.
0: Let's go back a little bit more than that. And then tell us sort of how the, the Chun family or the, or the Chun family became Korean American. Um, you're a Southern California guy. How did you guys move here? What was your childhood like? And What about those experiences inspired you to want to become an actor?
1: Yeah. So my um, family immigrated here, I think it's 79 to California. I was born in 81 in Garden Grove. Uh, We spent most of my childhood in most of my life in Irvine, except for a few years in Chula Vista, San Diego, which is like basically on the border of Tijuana. My dad was a... um, did uh, the free, the flea market swap meet, you know, he sold, uh, started selling clocks at first and then sweaters. And then he ended up selling athletic shoes and, and we're kind of like the American dream in that way where he worked uh, at the swap meet for 10 years. And then, you know, once he got enough money, he opened a retail location, but kept working seven days a week for over 15 years. And, you know, we are definitely like people would be shocked in our community if they found out that my dad did that for a living and we were able to live in like a middle-class neighborhood. His store and was in Paramount, which is, you know, we were right across the bridge from Compton in in, off of Rosecrans and we got looted during the riots. So we're very much a part of the fabric of LA history. And I went to USC, majored in business, did a um, internship at Silicon Valley after my freshman year and realized There's no way I could do that for a living because if that's supposed to be progressive, I just, I don't want any part of it. Uh, My dad was an actor, a kid actor from 10 to 25. And he, you know, I grew up watching his black and white films. But at the time, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, there really wasn't any sort of like Asian American actors. There was John Cho in American Pie, you know, Sandra Oh was kind of coming on the scene. The only thing we really had was... Margaret Cho and All-American Girl um, but that didn't run for very long and and other than that it was like Jet Li and Jackie Chan um, so it didn't really feel like a viable career option but you know I enrolled in like a two-year acting program to give it a shot and I fell in love with it and I just really didn't care if if I was going to be poor or you know I just was satisfied with just making art and doing that for a living I mean, just even just doing like a community theater or something if that's what my fate held, but, um, yeah, so that, you know, and I started off doing like commercials and all that kind of stuff. And then slowly, uh, started, uh, working my way up. Talk to me about the conversations you had with your parents.
0: Cause I think I, I see two stories here, right? One this traditional, as you said, sort of the, the hardworking immigrant story ends up sending their kid to USC, which isn't a place where you'd go if you wanted to become an actor, maybe different parts of the film business per se but but at the same time your father himself being a child actor this was a familiar territory at least from an occupational perspective culturally a very different did they encourage it did they sort of wish you had done something differently and 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 how did you manage that tension because you went to college shouldn't you be doing xyz and
1: I'm I'm sure a lot of young folks who are struggling with that would love to know what you went through I was a different situation because both my parents, like, you know, were artists. So, like, they, it was weird. They never pressured me in a very overbearing sense for academics or anything. They, they actually never pushed, you know, for going to a particular college or anything. It was just, that's just what everybody else was doing. So, it felt like what I needed to do. But them personally, never, it felt like, them pushing me that I had to go to Harvard or anything, or be a doctor or a lawyer. They just kind of let me do what, you know, in business. I just didn't know what else to do. So, like, I majored in that. But so I was lucky in that way that they never, you know, but when I did say I was going to act, and my dad had an understanding of the industry, was like, told, did tell me, like, you know, what you're about to embark on is incredibly difficult, even if you weren't Asian, you know, and it's a hard life, you know. He kept telling me, like, you know, you gotta take care of your body. You gotta be healthy because your body is your money maker and your instrument. What you're trying to do is is harder than a regular job. And at the time, I was like, no, it's not. Like, whatever. Like, it's like it's so much more fun, and and you get to express yourself. And you, and but then over time, I did understand what he was saying was true. Um, it's so much more competitive, you know. It's only so many spots. You know, how many Asian Americans are there? looking to cast in a television show you know it's quite a hard industry and in that sense he was trying to prepare me and make sure i understood what i was getting into but he said you know it's your life i better find a way to make money and feed yourself because i'm not gonna i'm not gonna give you money it's your choice like you can do whatever you want and be responsible for your decisions awesome man
0: i I think again seeing the progression and now you're known as the guy that tells korean american stories is so special because i think there's two things here i think that these stories don't get told. And in in your three big projects, you know, Gook is about what happened on Saigu or uh, April 29th, 1992 when the LA rights broke out. Miss Purple touches on a lot of topics about sort of the other side or sort of the unspoken culture of Koreatown nightlife and sort of what people go through that aren't so celebrated. And in Blue Bayou, your most recent film, it touches upon the narrative of the Korean American adoptee, of which there are about 200,000 globally and 100,000 here stateside that we don't necessarily hear. Uh, Their stories have not been told, um, not particularly from a, a Korean perspective. You talked earlier about sort of the frustrations you had being in the industry and perhaps being typecast and being told to play specific roles that other people saw you in. Was there a moment or was it a progression of I'm always going to want to do this? I just need enough experience, contacts, clout, backing, to do these stories or, or did it actually grow up because you didn't realize that within the current system of being casted for these things that you have to, you had no choice, but to write your own characters.
1: Combination of all of that. I mean, um, the, the roles that were available to, available to me were very sort of limiting. Like there wasn't many between that and a few negative experiences, you know, like, uh, man up my first film, which was about two Asian American kids that were growing up in Hawaii. You know, I wrote that because I was like, how come like Asian American kids are never just shown as just kids dealing with like regular shit, having nothing to do with being Asian American. Mm. You know, why can't we have like a, like a stoner comedy, like a dumb and dumber type of film. So I made it then. And it was very fun. You know, I really, and I teamed up with the YouTuber because I felt like at the time around 2009, 2010, you know, YouTube was such a democracy in terms of like the people chose what they wanted to watch. And it was really interesting that people had an interest for Asian American content, like in spades, like so, like millions and millions of views. I was like, OK, obviously, there's an appetite for it. So, you know, it was contrary to what the industry was telling me, saying that, oh, it's not marketable. So you know, I did that film, and then and then it was like a few frustrating, you know, experiences. One where a director told me to stay in my place and do what I'm told, and then another one where a frustrating audition where they told me that we were required to use an Asian accent, even though the script didn't call for it. Yikes! And then I I said I I'm not willing to do that, and they said, then you can leave. You know, and I just you know those kind of experiences, I was like, wow, I really don't have any control. I really don't have any power in how we end up getting represented on screen. So it was a promise to myself that I'm like, well, okay, there's a lot of people complain about this shit all the time. You know, most people complain about what they don't don't like, like or what they aren't seeing or very few actually go, okay, you know what? Like, especially at that time, you know, like that, that are going to be like, I'm just going to do it. So, you know, Gook at the time, there weren't any Asian American films, like really none. And having done it once, I'm like, I know I can do it. Like, it just needed to be done very economically and and utilizing you know avenues that I felt that can get it some attention. For example, like our goal was to go to Sundance, and that is a world platform. And but it's not someone's backyard. It's like Sundance. It's like the premier festival. Like, it was about being like putting our best foot forward and making the best movie so it could even be worthy of that festival. But, you know, it was out of it was out of frustration necessity, you know, and but then also taking action uh, for the sort of inequality that I was seeing in, in our uh, in the Hollywood landscape.
0: What's the message to young folks? Because I think the democratization of content is starting to or continues to evolve, right? Even this podcast, I did it because I didn't we didn't have it when you and I were growing up. We didn't have audio based storytelling of people who weren't your stereotypical finance doctor, lawyer types, and we both have young kids. And one day I was like, well, shit, if my kids grow up again, two generations later, not listening or not having this, then it's our fault, right? Because we have the resources and we have the opportunity and it's either do this and still make a living for our family or do make good money, but without the sort of component. But you took, I don't know, it's 20 years from now, but 10 10 plus years until when when goo came out for for you to actually feel confident or prepared enough to do that, right? Because for 10 years, you were doing all these roles that got you frustrated, that got you discriminated, at that sort of you were at somebody else's direction. What's the lesson there? And what's the lesson for you that you've uh, reflected on and for young folks now that we live in sort of go, 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 more of a go, 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 and instant gratification, sort of a, a mindset now? But this took you decades, man.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly what I'd like to tell young people is exactly what you're saying is it's do or die for me. Like, this is it. Like, it's like I have to do this or nothing. And I do think that, like, we are in a sense that there is more representation and opportunities, you know, and and sometimes when I talk to the younger generation, I think their their heart and mind is in the right place, but maybe not their sleep schedule. You know, like uh, they tend to, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's a great to have the right intentions, but at the same time, there's another component to it, which is hard work and just uh, knows the grindstone aspect to it that it's like, it just takes time and a hard, consistent work over, over years and years and years. And I do think I see them getting quite frustrated after it doesn't happen in like a year or like they go, oh, it's unfair or or it's not, it's the system's broken. It's not meant for me. Well, what I've learned through my own experience is no, you can forge your own path. It's possible. And, you know, some kids will be like, well, you were lucky. And like, in what way, like my, my, you know, that's my answer is like, in what way it was not, there was no path at all. At least there is a path, you know, there's like case studies and things you can model like a career after, um, you know, but I would say like, it's except that it's going to take a lot of work and that's the default. That's the default. And then if you get there easier then awesome, like there's, there's no reason you should make it harder on yourself, but just expect that it's, it requires a lot of blood, sweat and tears and not sleeping at night and sacrifices. That's the biggest thing is you're going to have to sacrifice, you know, I mean, this is my day off. I'm shooting a film right now. This is my day off and I'm doing press for my film because it's important, but like, uh, I could easily be spending time with my kid, like on my day off. And, you know, I mean, these are the sacrifices we make, you know, to be honest, what time is it? It's three o'clock. It's three o'clock. I haven't eaten today, right? Like I haven't eaten anything. I haven't even eaten a, a peanut. Well, I'm not going to sit here and complain to you or anybody else i interview with the fact that i am hungry or like i you know i took the shower at the lunch break because i was up at 5 30 in the morning doing rewrites but that's that the, sometimes what i feel that they lack is that sort of understanding of with the glory like you're only seeing the best parts of it you're not seeing the how incredibly difficult Especially because it's so competitive, the entertainment industry is. On the topic of
0: hard work, luck, the systems working against you, is really the story of Antonio LeBlanc, your character that you portray in, in Blue Bayou. I gotta say, man, I I went in with an extremely open mind, not knowing what was going to. I, I didn't watch any trailers. I you know we we watched it together with my wife and her sister and. Man, thank you. Uh, Thank you for doing that. Thank you for uh, telling the stories, uplifting the adoptive voice and bringing into the conversation uh, what most people don't know, that there's a lot of adoptees who are screwed by a lot of different things. The system, the government, nonprofits, parents, all the like. What was the spark? Why this story? Why highlighting in your series, in your progression and your evolution of Korean American storytelling, the adoptive voice? So, you know, after
1: Gook, you know, that's like after making that film, you know, I understood the power uh, filmmaking had in terms of bringing to the table some sort of meal to have and for people either to get sustenance or to have a conversation around that table. And so I was just trying to decide what I was going to do next after Gook, not Miss Purple. Uh, I made Miss Purple in between because it was taking so long. But I just started hearing in the community, in the adoptee community, that this was happening, that adoptees were being deported. And then, you know, there are several news articles and, and, and videos that came out, you know, highlighting particular cases. And, and I just thought it was such an injustice and cruel. You know, it's like these kids had no say in coming to this country. And, you know, a lot of times money is exchanged and you don't get to pick your family and you were a child, so how are you supposed to know the legalities and the paperwork that needs to be filed? That should be done for you because you're a child. And it should be the the government's responsibility because it is a child being brought from a different country. And for 30 years to pass, and all of a sudden, because of a loophole in paperwork to say that you're not an American citizen, is unacceptable. And I, it just broke my heart. You know, already, you know, adoptees, like, there's a lot of issues. And there's a lot of sort of, like, with identity and and you know uh sometimes sometimes you get put in nice families sometimes they don't and that whole experience like on top of that to include the fact that the country you call home for them for the country to say no you're not it i can't even begin to fathom how upending that would be you know how that would throw your life into chaos so like you know, my heart just bled for them. And I just was like, this story needs to be told. And then on top of that, no one understanding or knowing that this was even happening, you know, like very few people like knew that this was even an issue, you know? So I was like, I had such a conviction that this is a story that needs to be exposed and hopefully at the highest level in the best case successful scenario, the right people watch it and it creates, you know, some sort of change. And allows that maybe allows some of these people to stay, or some of the people who were, were deported to be brought back. But um, I before every film, I, I asked myself like why I'm making this because it's filmmaking too hard. It's a, it's a really long, like years and years of journey to put something on the screen and get it out there. And so if it doesn't have a bigger purpose than just myself or my own ego or just my own experience why do it? It's just, it's too painful. It's too hard. And, and, but if you're fighting for something, it just becomes so much more worthwhile. And for this one, I think that these people should stay, be allowed to stay.
0: And I think that message came through. You have, you should watch the movie it comes out on nine seventeen. If you're listening to this or, or whatnot, please go watch it and encourage your friends to do so. Cause out, outside of the, Extra resonance that it hits us because we are Korean American, and you and I have personal friends who are adoptees. Many of them. It's a great movie. It's 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 a story of love and pain and frustration and just even parts of I think a country that has not been represented this way. You include the story of a Vietnamese American family who are very populous in the New Orleans region, yeah. whose stories are rarely, if ever, told. When we talk about the culture of New Orleans and why they're there and what sort of influence they've had, I, I think you using your platform and your privilege to make space for this conversation, but do it in a way where it sparks conversation for people to be like, hey, I didn't know that was a thing. Right. And that's, I think, what people will walk away from the movie and start to care. I know for unfortunately, just as a consequence of a lot of the ugliness that we see in the world today we're talking about these things again. We're talking about refugees, we're talking about adoptees, who gets to tell their stories and, and what we make of it. I, I hope that you know this movie, the press around it, even just us talking, gets people to focus on the message, which is this, there's a loophole and that there's a lot of different ways to solve it. And I, I gotta say, regardless of however you feel about other things, about government, about politicians, all of them, none of these kids who came, or I guess none of these folks, brothers and sisters of ours who came as children, they're not all Korean either from all over the world, did not have a choice. Not the same, but similarly as as the Dreamers, you know, they came when it was out of completely, outside their control and the system let them down. And so I, I agree with you.
1: Yeah, and and that is something that's, that uh, has come up is that like people think that this, film is sent, set in the trump era or whatever this is not a uh, bipartisan issue this is this is something that that has been dating back all the way to clinton right like i'm not trying to pick a side here i'm just I, what i'm trying to do is get both sides to talk about it i'm trying to get like people to, to agree that this is this is just not right it has nothing to do with with blaming anybody it's like it, that does us no good here. Like what w- w- the most constructive thing is for us to just look at this and have a conversation and honestly say, these people should be allowed to stay, you know, because it should be automatic. Because a child that had no say is brought here as a child, they should be an American citizen because they were brought by American citizen. and a government, the u s. government allowed for a child to be brought across the ocean or even, you know, wherever they're from, you know, and I I, I think that that's, sh- there's no, there shouldn't be a debate about that. And then there, you know, there's a child citizenship act of 2000 that grants automatic citizenship to kids who are adopted after 2000, you know, which also like, you know, there's cases even with that, that act that kids are, st- people are still being deported, but like, why is that not retroactive? Why is there a line in the sand that says, okay, this arbitrary 2000 mark where people after should be granted, and not people before. You know, these, this is, should not be barred by bipartisan. This is just logic, <laughs> you know.
0: I'm with you. And so if you're listening to us and you're, you feel the passion of both of our voices, but not quite sure what we're talking about, we encourage you to go research, read stories, read opinion pieces, particularly from the adopted community when it comes to the Citizenship Act and, and, you know, what you can do. There's a lot of other, I think, themes in the movie, Justin, that you wrote directed and started um, that has a lot to do with the topic of family. You you play the role of Antonio LeBlanc, who as an adoptee has a stepdaughter and, you know, there's a lot of other family elements to it in this sort of wanting to be chosen, wanting to belong. And, And I think it is a really timely conversation as we as a Korean and Asian American community even evolve now. Into redefining what family means, what culture means, what honor, respect for our ancestors means, even in one generation, from our parents to ours. What, what are some of the things that you wanted to get across, other than the, you know, the, the very important adoptive message that we talked about from a family perspective?
1: Well, I mean, you know, another aspect of it is that our experience as Asian Americans isn't just limited to just Korean, Chinese, Japanese. You know, we need to help each other. It needs to be a collective. And you know, I'm using my platform to also showcase other ethnicities. You know, the film I'm making right now is about an Indonesian father and son, and this is a collective, unified thing. You know, it's a, we need to help each other, and and it's the reason why it's at New Orleans, and and there's a, a Vietnamese uh, storyline in it. Um, I also want people to take away like. The theme of like redemption are, are you not allowed to, you know, have a second chance? You know, like also who decides who is American? You know, does that mean that you have to be born in this country? Or because sometimes I think about people who come to this country are choosing to come here and, and live here, not that they were just born here. Um, so almost in a sense, it's like even can be considered more American because that there's a very conscious choice you know, and there's so many themes in this film, you know, but, but ultimately I just want people to have empathy, you know, for the people in this film. That's, that's the main, first and foremost, and also for the adoptee community to feel like they're being represented fairly and, and a part of the Asian American experience, you know, I, I feel like they are. And hopefully this film you know, is one version of that that they can feel represents them.
0: What has filmmaking, storytelling, how has that evolved since you became a
1: dad? Oh, tremendously. I mean, you know, I I wrote this film while my wife was pregnant. So, you know, I had a lot of time to be introspective and think about what it means to be a father and what kind of dad I wanted to be and and uh, what I was going to do with my kid and and, you know, so it it really has creeped its way into my films. I think I've kind of leveled up in the sense that I have more of an understanding of what maybe my parents you know went through or thought about while while they were raising me, and I'm not you know, I think I've evolved a bit than more than just telling stories about you know being young and you know, I can understand, you know, from a more mature standpoint of like what matters, you know in life and how I want to continue to live my life, you know, with the rest of the time I have and, you know, what kind of person I want to be for, for my kid. So like, it's done all of those things. And, and I think it's like, there's no going back. I think that's going to be a part of my, you know, filmmaking because it can't erase those experiences. Being at that, that changes everything. And I think legacy yeah. and, and
0: what we want our kids to see, believe in super critical as we wrap, what have been the conversations with your parents been, if if at all, with these movies that you're making, telling our stories? Because as you you shared earlier, your dad said, you know, you do if that's what you want to do, you do it. It's not going to be easy, yeah. and you're you're still not done yet, but you've made it. You're you've won awards. You're on <sighs> billboards.
1: You get to work with some cool people. What do they think? My parents don't care, man. I don't know. They just, they they just are are you making enough money? Like, are you so responsible? Are you going to be able to like feed your kid? Like, (laughs) I don't think they understand at what level I'm operating or anything. Like they have no concept of that. They just, they're just like, do you, you know, do you like, just don't come to me to expect me to watch your kid or like, don't, (laughs) don't expect to, Don't ask me for money or don't use my house as storage. You know, like (laughs) if you're planning to go somewhere for a year, that's the things they care about. Um, they I I do think they're proud. You know, I think their other parents tell them. You know, oh, I saw you know your son in like some you know news article or something. But like they don't really ask that many questions. And I think, but they I do think they're proud. And but they're more proud that I'm becoming like a responsible adult that is responsible for my family more so than any sort of fame or 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 accolades can can afford me.
0: You know, there's always this joke in our community that doesn't matter what you actually do until the Korea Times writes about you. And then and then the people at church or at the at the community places will then be like, oh, they made it. But it's also sort of what matters to them, right? Because we have no idea what our parents went through to bring us up yeah. to this. And I think there's, as is, is a really huge theme in Blue Bayou, this notion of who makes a sacrifice and then who gets to judge what is made of that sacrifice, which is something that our generation, you and I struggle with all the time, right? Like, because they came here and they suffered, who should, what, what should we do with it? Really, really critical themes. What, one final thing I want to do, Justin, before uh, we wrap, Theories, Americans, as for, for so many of us in, in the storytelling realm, is for me, a gift to my kids and for us to be able to tell each other, our kids, ourselves, things that inspire, things that celebrate, and things that support us. And so share anything that you'd like from the lessons that you've learned with the community and help us close out the show by saying something to the Asian American community. So I'll I'll start. And if you can finish,
1: dear Asian Americans. Uh, Dear Asian Americans. First of all, we, we belong in this country. So let's give ourselves the permission to take up space and represent ourselves in all facets of life, whether that be in the law, field or the medical field or the entertainment field. Let's allow ourselves to be heard and respected. Let's not let anyone discount us or our experiences or where we've come from. Let's wear all of that blood memory and history with pride. Let's make sure that we pass these uh, tenants off to our children and make sure that they grow to be strong, confident individuals so that they can Be uh, functioning, responsible members of society. Ultimately, we are all one. We must learn how to coexist in this country with all of our counterparts. No one is better than anyone else. And we have to find a way that we can all respect one another and live through love and not through some twisted concept of ego. You know, I think that once we can learn how to be selfless and serve others, we as a community will become free. And I think as we have dealt in the last
0: year plus of so much pain in our community, witnessing attacks, the way that we've been treated and reflecting on stereotypes and microaggressions, all the things that we grow up with, very refreshing to be able to share a story as you do at Blue Bayou that goes against the stereotype narrative. Most people really are not aware of the adoptee voice and the adoptee experience. And so I think, it, as you said, it's all about empathy. It's all about the humanization of us and to make sure that people see us beyond what we look like and to really understand this. So first of all, thank you. Last of all, thank you, man, uh, for, for doing this, for spending a little bit of time uh, with me today. Movie comes out 9-17. You can buy tickets. Well, we're recording this in August, but you can even buy tickets now. So stay, stay safe, of course. Go buy a theater, take your friends, share this out. And really, I I wish you the best of luck. I cannot wait to continue to see you grow and evolve and to thrive, man. It's been really cool to see you grow uh, and and to make a name for yourself. And it's been so cool, man. So thank you for all that you do and continue to uh, shock us and uh, share our stories, man. Thank you, Jerry. Appreciate you. Again, big shout out to Justin uh, for making this happen. Uh, Really, really great uh, to have this conversation with a fellow Korean American uh, talking about something that is uh, not talked about in media enough. Uh, which are the adoptee voices. We here at Just Like Media obviously feel very um, strongly about this, and we have a, a second show, uh, another show called The Chi Show. If you haven't checked it out, uh, please do so. Uh, tomorrow on Wednesday, September 15th, uh, we're going to be releasing a, an exclusive dialogue with the three hosts of the show, uh, Patrick, KJ, and Nathan, along with fellow Korean adoptees uh, Katie Gagel and Liz Kleinrock, as they discuss what the movie meant for them, what some of the themes uh, in the movie are about um, overall, I um, encourage you to go watch the movie uh, and then share your thoughts. Um, let me know what you think about the movie, what you thought about this interview. If you're new to the show, welcome uh, hello at dear Asian or hello at jerrywan.com uh at dear Asian Americans on Instagram at Jerry on Instagram and would love to engage with you there. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope you continue to stay safe and healthy. And I will see you next time here on The Asian Americans. And I've been your host, Jerry Wan, wishing you health, safety, and happiness.